The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to go to John chapter 4 this evening and we'd like to return to Jesus' conversation and interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well from John chapter 4. And we left off last time considering the living water and her drinking that living water. We left off in verse 14. So we'll read verse 13 and 14 for context as we, Lord willing, make our way through verse 24 this evening. John chapter 4 and in verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Just beautiful language and had a good time considering that together. Verse 15, the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is now, <clears throat> and whom, and he whom thou hast now is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. And the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when he shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. For the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus has introduced in previous verses that we have considered, he has introduced the topic of living water and living water springing up out of her soul unto everlasting life. And she says, well, that water sounds intriguing. Lord, give me this water that I thirst not. It'd be nice to not have to worry about drinking water again. Give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Again, she is thinking of Jesus's words in a natural plane instead of a spiritual plane as is typically the case. And then Jesus puts his finger on her pressure point. You know, what's what's her stumbling block? Uh, very similar, I believe, to 
how Jesus puts the finger on the pressure point and the stumbling block of the rich young ruler. And he thinks that he's righteous. He thinks he's doing all these things right. And he says, one thing thou lackest. And for many of us, it'd be a lot more than just one thing that we're lacking. But Jesus always puts his finger on the pressure point. You know, what is your particular stumbling block? And for the rich young, and for the rich young ruler, it was covetous, covetousness. But for this lady, it was sin in a marriage and in a sexual context. So he puts the finger right on her pressure point. And I believe we could ask the same thing today. What is your hindrance? What is your stumbling block? What's your one thing? What is the hindrance that, that is a stumbling block to you of pursuing Jesus Christ fully and completely in discipleship and believing on him and tapping into that well of everlasting water that, that resides inside of you. If you believe this, that means you're already born again of the Spirit of God, but you need to tap in to that fountain of, of living water that already resides inside of you. So what, what's your stumbling block? And something to really meditate on is if you had a, this conversation with Jesus, what are the topics that he would bring up? He addresses her biggest issue in her life, and he tells her, Go call thy husband. Come hither. Go get your husband. And the woman says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou hast is not thy husband, in that thou sayest truly. So she's been married five times, and she is <clears throat> living with a man outside of wedlock. And thankfully, this was very frowned upon during this day. But it's just astounding, unfortunately. It is just uh, sinfully astounding how common it is for people to live together prior to marriage, which obviously indicates that there is fornication taking place if you're living together, if a man and woman are living together prior to marriage. And it's just astounding that that is the norm and waiting until God's covenant relationship of marriage to engage in the blessing that the Lord has given us of the intimacy between a husband and a wife, that is only proper and it's only holy and confined to the marriage relationship and the marriage covenant of one man and one woman for one lifetime. And she was doing exactly what is so common in, in not just American culture, but in Christianity today, living with someone that is not her husband. And she is living in sin, and Jesus is calling her to repent of that sin. This was arguably her biggest stumbling block to following Jesus Christ in the manner that she ought to. And our biggest stumbling block from, for tapping into the fountain of living water that was living inside of her. So obviously she'd never met this man before, and he's telling her about her entire relationship history. You've been married five times, and the man that you live, you're living with now is not your husband. And she says, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. <laughs> There's no way that you could know this apart from you having special divine knowledge from 
Jehovah God. And she says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. (laughs) She's trying to change the subject, right? Uh, She's very uncomfortable that Jesus puts his finger on the pressure point. He, He specifically points out her particular stumbling block, that is her biggest problem, for following Jesus as fervently and diligently as she ought to. And she does what we do. Uh, Let's change the subject. Let's talk about worship. Let's talk about worship. And that's what we want to do for the rest of our time together this evening. We want to talk about worship. We want to talk about true worship. Now, she had, as a Samaritan, this woman as a Samaritan, she had an understanding of worship. But it was not true worship. It was corrupted worship. It was commingled worship. Um, It was the result of the compromise of the standard of God's word and worship over many, many years. And that's what she thought worship was. But she had a misunderstanding of what true worship was. So she says... Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and she points at Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim, that is the mountain that was right beside Jacob's well. Remember, this is taking place at Jacob's well, and Jacob's well is right at the foot of Mount Gerizim. Now, you may recognize the name Mount Gerizim from the Old Testament, and that was the mountain, if you remember, that there was a period of time where half of of God's people stood on Mount Gerizim and half of the other people stood on another mountain and they pronounced blessings and curses. He told them to do that in the book of Deuteronomy and then when they uh, under when they uh, conquered the land of Canaan, they ended up doing that in Joshua chapter 8. So Mount Gerizim is the mountain of blessing that they stood on and and they proclaimed the testimony of God that if you do all these things, these are going to be the tremendous blessings that you have. But also on the other side, um, if you disobey, there will be tremendous judgment and there will be curses for that. So Mount Gerizim is a very prominent mountain there uh, as they enter into the land of Canaan and they pronounce those uh, those blessings um, from the top of that mountain. And over time, Mount Gerizim became the the center and the place of worship for the Samaritan people. Now, Now, let's back up for a little bit. Let's back up all the way to the division of the kingdom after Solomon's death. So you have the unified kingdom under David and Solomon, right? And then when Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam makes bad decisions, and the Lord, and the Lord raises up Jeroboam, and he splits the kingdom, okay? So you have the ten northern tribes that follow Jeroboam, and then you have two tribes, the tribes of Benjamin and Judah, that remain faithful to the king Rehoboam. And after that split, after that separation, the southern two tribes are primarily known as Judah, and then the northern tribes are known as Ephraim or Samaria later on. So then the, uh, the southern tribes of Judah, they had 
good kings and they had bad kings. And they eventually, at a later date, they go into Babylonian captivity. But long before the Babylonian captivity, okay, there was the Assyrian captivity of the northern ten tribes. The northern ten tribes never had a good king. There was always wickedness. Now, at the beginning of that split, okay, at the beginning of that split with Rehoboam, Jeroboam, Jeroboam was raised up by the Lord to sin judgment against the wickedness of Rehoboam, but as is often the case, the Lord raises them up, but then when they're raised up, similar to King Saul and other people, they're raised up and they make very sinful and foolish decisions. So Jeroboam now all of a sudden has all this power. He he has this power and control over 10 tribes and Jeroboam is afraid of the people obeying the command of God because it it was a Mosaic law commandment for them to go back to Jerusalem at least three times during the year in three separate feasts. So to prevent them from going back to Jerusalem and him losing his authority, they go to Jerusalem during the feast days and they they see all these, uh, see their, their kinfolks or they realize things aren't as bad as they thought they were. So they come back and they try to overthrow Jeroboam. That's what he was afraid of. So to try to keep the people from going all the way back to Jerusalem, Jeroboam sets up two separate places of idolatrous, false, corrupted worship. And surprise, surprise, what does he choose to make? He chooses to make two golden calves. You remember all the way back on Mount Sinai, right after Moses had got the law, and and they come down from the mountain, and Aaron has created what? He's He's created a golden calf. Well, that's what Jeroboam does. He creates two golden calves. He puts one of them in Bethel and one of them in Dan, which, by the way, isn't that sad? Bethel, the house of the Lord, that place that was consecrated by Jacob when he had that dream, and he said the Lord was in this place that I knew it not, and Bethel literally means the house of God. And then Jeroboam corrupts the house of God. Don't, don't miss the significance here. Jeroboam corrupts the city of the house of God with carnal, sinful, idolatrous worship, okay? So he takes golden calves, one in Bethel and one in Dan, and he sets up these graven images. He sets up these idols to try to prevent the people from going back to Jerusalem in obedience to the Mosaic law because he was afraid that he would lose his power and his control and his authority. So now you fast forward that, okay? You fast forward that initial setting up of idolatry by Jeroboam. And if you follow the pattern of those northern ten tribes, you will, you will find that not a single one of them was ever able to break the sin of Jeroboam. It always says they continued in the sin of Jeroboam. They continued in the sin of Jeroboam. So you have this this initial setting up of this idolatry in Bethel and Dan, and the people who ended up being the Samaritans were these northern ten tribes that already had corrupted worship even before the Assyrian captivity. They go into the Assyrian captivity, then the Assyrians commingle and intermarry the Israelites with people of other nations. So you already have this baseline of 
idolatry, of graven image idolatry, corrupted worship. Not true worship, corrupted worship, right? And then you, you multiply that times generations, and then they go into Assyrian captivity, and then you bring in not just the corrupted Jehovah worship of Jeroboam, but then you bring in the pagan worship of Assyria. And that big melting pot of corrupted worship, of corrupted Jewish worship, of false and pagan idolatry and pagan worship, you just commingle all of that stuff together. And you fast forward that times multiple generations and you arrive at the Samaritans of the first century. <laughs> so the Samaritans had some knowledge of Jehovah God. I mean, this lady knew that there was a Messiah that was coming. This lady knew that there was a Christ, an anointed that was coming. And she believed in worship, but she had a misunderstanding of what true worship was because she said that, you know, we have our preference and you have your preference for worship. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain but ye say, speaking of the Jews, but ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. And the implied question there is where is true worship and what is true worship, right? You say that true worship is in Jerusalem. We think that true worship is with us here in Mount Gerizim. And Jesus answers the question. What is true worship? What is True worship. John chapter 4 and verse 21. Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. One of the most important things to understand about true worship is that about worship in spirit and in truth is that it's not based on GPS location, right? Now, let me go ahead and go ahead and tell you that as a member of the Primitive Baptist Church, we do our best to maintain the simplistic pattern of doctrine of the New Testament church, but also the simplistic pattern of worship of the New Testament church. And I believe that we do, to the best of our ability, we do our best to worship in spirit and in truth. Now, there's a balance to spirit and in truth. And I would say the accusations against the Primitive Baptist can be fair from time to time. We may have the truth, but we don't have near as much spirit as many people do. Now, some people have got all the spirit in the world. They have a, a desire to serve God, but their spirit, their desire to worship God, is not channeled through the Word of God. They're not worshiping in a way that God has desired to be worshipped, that he's commanded to be worshipped. So it's important to understand that worship is not based on a GPS location. And it's not based on having the conveniences of the many of the things that we have in Christianity and in America today. One of the blessings that we see in the New Testament scriptures is the simplicity of the early New Testament church. And one great thing, it, it's nice to be able to have a nice 
uh, air conditioning in our in our building. We've been having a little bit of some air conditioning issues at our church at Macedonia, and you get comfortable at at um, temperature of seventy two. And for some reason, we forget that we're old Baptist and primitive Baptist because we have to sweat a little bit in church. Well, that's okay. That's okay, because the primitive church was typically worshiping in homes with no electricity with no air conditioning but the beauty of the church the beauty of the church and the beauty of worship in spirit and in truth is that you can do it anywhere you can do it anywhere what we find in the new testament scriptures in the way that god desires to be worshiped is simple it's simple it is Acapella singing. We sing acapella in the Primitive Baptist Church, and the reason we do that is because we find the consistent teaching all throughout the New Testament is God commands us to sing with the instrument of our voices. There are references in the Old Testament to the use of musical instruments, but God gave David a little bit of liberty because David was a musician and he was a man after God's own heart, and the Lord gave David, just a little bit of liberty during his day, but you won't find anywhere else in Scripture outside of the time of David and outside of the time and the references and the writing of the Psalms and a brief 30 to 40 year period during the reign of David, you won't find anywhere else in Scripture where the playing of instruments is spoken in a positive way. Actually, the majority of the time, the playing of instruments has to do with Babylon and pagan worship. Now, I enjoy listening to good music, but the consistent pattern outside of the reign of David, the consistent pattern toward music and worship is usually very negative in Scripture. It's usually used by Babylon. It's usually referenced in regards to pagan worship. So we believe that the best way to worship in spirit and in truth in the New Testament church is to simply sing with the instruments that God has given us. I mean, why would we want to distract from the instrument of our vocal cords that God has given us to, to sing with our voices and to, and to make a joyful noise unto the Lord and sing with grace? Why would we want to distract from the instrument that God has given us, that God has commanded us to use, commanded us consistently in the New Testament to use that, why would we want to detract from that by using a man-made instrument? Now, those are well and good in the right context, but the question is, how does God desire to be worshipped in public worship, right? He's God. How does God desire to be worshipped? And what we find in the scriptures is he tells us how he desires to be worshipped. This woman says... We think that we have true worship. You think that you have true worship in the, in the uh, lineage of the Jews. Which one is true? Which one is true? And Jesus says, ye worship, ye know not what. So they've got, they've got a little bit of spirit, right? They've got a little bit of zeal. I mean, they want to worship. They want to worship. You know, there's something inside the born-again child of God that desires to worship. But if you study Scripture, we don't have the time to consider this this evening, but you have references to vain worship. You have references to ignorant worship, the people in Athens. 
were ignorantly worshiping an altar to an unknown God. You have vain worship. You have empty worship. You have ignorant worship. You have cold worship. And then here you have true worship. You worship, but you know not what. You have a desire to worship God. And I believe the reason, particularly this lady, that she has an unction and a desire to worship God is because she's already born again. But she does not know what she's worshiping, kind of like those people there in Athens. They're worshiping the, uh, the altar to the unknown God because they're not content with worshiping all the rest of these altars. And they're, they're drawn and they gravitate over to this altar to the unknown God. And so they're worshiping in ignorance the unknown God. And then Paul stands up and says, this unknown God that you've been ignorantly worshiping, he, he's the one I declare unto you. So there's, there's a lot of people, not just in this day, in the Bible, but there's many people today that they worship. They have a desire to worship, but they know not what. They have a, they have a distorted view of the God that they're worshiping, and they probably don't even understand it. They probably don't even understand that. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And here, obviously, the Jews, the reason why the Jews had clarity of worship, don't miss this, okay? The reason why the Jews had a much greater clarity of worship that gave them a tremendous deliverance and salvation that's described right here is why? Is because they had the Word of God, right? They didn't have to wonder how did how does God desire to be worshipped? No, he is very clear and he's very specific and he's very precise about the way in which he desires to be worshipped in the tabernacle and in the temple and all the different offerings and all the different feasts. God is very precise. You cannot read the Bible. You certainly can't read the Old Testament Mosaic Law and reach the conclusion that God is content with you worshiping him however your preference is. How did that work out for Nadab and Abihu when they offered strange fire unto the Lord? There are many people that, that probably said, man, the Lord's being too harsh. No, it's his worship, right? It's his worship. And he has the right to set the boundaries and the constraints and the commandments in which he desires to be worshipped. And because the Jews had the knowledge of clarity of how he desired to be worshipped, they had the great privilege of experiencing the Shekinah glory of God. They had the experience of, of experiencing a, a tremendous blessing with God that, that the Gentiles were, were hindered from in the Old Testament. Why? Because they did not, not have the knowledge or the access to the Word of God. How does God, God tells us how he desires to be worshipped. They had knowledge of that. And then it says salvation is of the Jews. What salvation is under consideration here? Well, there is, oh, there is tremendous salvation in true worship in spirit and in truth. Amen? If you've ever experienced that, if you ever went from the coldness and the performances and the entertainment of the general disposition of worshiping Christianity today, and you've showed up in the simplistic pattern of the New Testament church, I believe that you probably experienced a deliverance and a salvation. And not just in our, in our singing, but also in our preaching and our praying and also family integrated worship. It's not confusing that when you show up in the building and my five-year-old's got to go here and my seven-year-old's got to go to a different room and my 10-year-old's got to go to a different room and I got to drop off my infant in a different room and they all have different times that each of these start. And then we go into a different room for the adult public worship, and then we got to find them all afterward. No, you come into a primitive Baptist church, which is the pattern we see in the New Testament, and you just worship together. That's simple. That's simple. 
And God desires it that way. God desires his worship to be simple. Why? Why does he want his worship to be simple? So all the attention is on him, right? We don't want the attention to be on the praise band. We don't want the attention to be on the drummer or the person that's playing the guitar. When, he, when you strip down all of the entertainment of Christianity today, one of the blessings of just following the pattern of the, of the primitive church of simplistic preaching, praying and singing and fellowship and the entire family worshiping together in family-integrated worship. One of the tremendous blessings of that is that there are no distractions that all of the attention, as it ought to be, right? All of the attention is on God. All the attention is on Jesus Christ. So what is worship in spirit and in truth? Well, primarily it's worship according to the word of God. Remember what he said about the Jews. The Samaritans did not have ready access to the word of God and they were worshiping without knowledge. You worship, you know not what. They had a desire to worship, but they, did, they had no knowledge. They had no clarity. But we know what we worship. Why? Because we have the word of God. For salvation is of the Jews. There's a salvation and a deliverance for the child of God in true worship. Now the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So you have to have both the spirit and the truth. Now let's back up for just a minute. Well, how do you get the spirit? How do we get the spirit? Well, God gives you the spirit, right? You don't invite the Holy Spirit into your heart. The only reason that you have a desire for true worship is that you're already born again. So let's make sure that we Understand that this has nothing to do with whether you're going to go to heaven or hell. It has nothing to do with regeneration. It has nothing to do if you're born again or not. It has everything to do with you tasting of those living waters and you living the abundant life in the fullest expression of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is a very dynamic topic in Scripture, and there are many people in other denominations other than the Primitive Baptist Church that I believe are happy in the knowledge that they have in the kingdom of God. And they're experiencing the kingdom of God in a degree, but I would present for your consideration that that is a diluted experience of the kingdom of heaven. Yes, they may have life. They may have an, a little bit of abundant life, but they don't have the fullness of the abundant life. Why? Because there are some things that are constraining that are roadblocks for you to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of Jesus Christ and the fullness of that fountain of living water welling up inside of you. And if there are people that are telling you that Jesus Christ is not sufficient to save you from your sins and you have to do something to add to that, let me tell you, that's not according to the Spirit or the truth. By the way, the Spirit is described as the Spirit of truth, and if we're fully following the leadership of the Spirit, the Spirit will always lead us in truth. Don't ever forget that. If you're following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit will always lead you in truth. Now, there are many Jesus-loving, born-again, 
Christ-believing, sincere disciples in all of Christianity that they have a spirit and a desire to worship God with fervency and with zeal. Praise God for that, right? But we have to channel that zeal and that spirit through the truth of God's word. And the, the thought I really just want to leave with you. We could spend a lot of time talking about the mechanics of worship in spirit and in truth, and I would humbly submit for you, if you're not a member of a Primitive Baptist church or you've never attended a Primitive Baptist church, I would invite you to humbly come and see. Come and see. Come and see our pattern of worship, and I believe the Holy Spirit will touch and minister to your soul. Because I believe that we do our best to uphold the pattern of the New Testament church and to the best of our ability, according to the pattern of worship that we have in the New Testament scriptures, we try to worship both in spirit, but also in truth. Now, there are some people that have too much truth and they're all concerned about the truth. Those people in Revelation chapter 2 in the church in Ephesus, boy, they had all the truth in the world but they didn't have any spirit. They didn't have any love. They'd lost their first love. And we've got, the, I believe in the Primitive Baptist Church, I believe we've got the truth. We just need more spirit. But for those that have the spirit, those that have the spirit, I would encourage you, please study the Word of God. Please study the pattern of worship in the Word of God. And I believe that you will find that it's very simple. I believe you will find in the New Testament scriptures that we, that we sing with our voices and making melody in our hearts to the Lord and making a joyful noise and, and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns. You have the privilege of calling out the song that's burdened on your heart. You're not just going along with the pre-scripted program that a music minister made out probably weeks ago. No, the Spirit is ministering to you, and you have the ability to minister to other members of the congregation by you calling out a song that's been burdened on your heart, and if the Spirit's moving in the manner that it ought to in the song service, the song that you sing will minister to the heart of another person that needs to hear that message from that hymn to, be, to minister to your soul with what you stand in need of, right? That's how God has ordained it. But how does that work? If you feel like that you are a spectator in worship, then I would encourage you to come and worship and come and see a Primitive Baptist church, okay? Because you are not intended to be a spectator. We, we need to turn our perspective. We need to entirely turn, and this is really too much to do in one, one message, to change your entire vision of worship. We show up to worship, and we say, what can I get out of it? But the whole purpose of worship is the exact opposite. The whole purpose of worship in spirit and in truth is we should show up to worship and say, what can God get out of me today, right? We are showing up to perform for God. We're not showing up and say, God, what are you going to do for me? No, it's my privilege to do something for God today, right? So we, we look at it, and, and in this general disposition of Christianity today, you have what's called the seeker-sensitive movement, that I want to go to a church 
that makes me feel good? What, what's my list of things that are my preferences, my preferences in music, my preferences in what kids' activities we need? I, I show up in church kind of interviewing the church. What can the church do for me? Well, I would humbly submit to you that you have the exact opposite perspective of what worship is supposed to be. When you show up to a church, you should not be saying, what can the church do for me? You should be saying, how can I glorify God in my participation in worship? And that's important. Is because much of Christianity makes you to be a spectator in worship. A spectator. You sit and you listen to the praise band. You listen to the fancy speaker with the light show. You listen to the person playing the drum. You are not called to be a spectator. You are called to come before the Lord and, and he examines your worship so that he would be pleased. If you leave church, if you leave worship and you say, I didn't get anything out of that, then you approached worship with the exact opposite perspective and attitude that you should be showing up. Anytime you show up to church and you say, what can I get out of this? The Lord is a good God. <laughs> Amen. So he'll, he'll give you some crumbs, but he's not going to give you the full feast of the table if you show up and say, what can I get out of this? The whole purpose of worship is the exact opposite of the way we approach it in American Christianity today. It's not what makes me feel good. It's not my perspective. It is how can I perform and be a participant in worship today to where God is honored by my activities in worship? And he's going to be the most honored. Now, now listen, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, I know if the Holy Spirit is much broader than the Primitive Baptist Church. Praise God for that. And I know that if you have approached worship with the right spirit, I know that Jesus Christ has ministered to you in worship. But I'll tell you, I believe there's something better for you. I believe there's, there's a better, more powerful presence of the Holy Spirit when you remove all of the distractions and all the mechanics of American Christianity. And if you come, humbly come with a desire, hopefully in a primitive Baptist church, to worship in spirit and in truth, with a desire to say, how can I present myself before God to where, how does he view me? Not what, what am I getting out of worship, but what can I provide? And this is the perspective that I really want you to have, is that God is seeking true worship, okay? God is seeking true worship. But the hour cometh and now is, and that now is has not ceased. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. But notice this language. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Jesus is seeking true worship. Jesus is seeking true worship. So I want you to think, I want you to think with me, if Jesus Christ came back to this earth today, now he's not going to come back until his second coming and he's going to burn this earth up with fire. Praise God. <laughs> He's going to consume the, cor the corruption and the wickedness of this world. But assume for, for just a minute that Jesus Christ was coming back to earth for a little visit. And he is seeking true worship. What do you think will be Jesus' criteria to seek out 
true worship when he comes to visit? I would say it'd be the word of God, right? It'd be the pattern of scripture that he gave us of how he desires to be worshiped. So if Jesus showed up and he's seeking out true worship and his means of seeking out true worship is the word of God, what should be our motive and perspective of seeking out true worship? It should be the word of God. Right? It should be the pattern of Scripture. And I believe if you study Scripture, if you study the New Testament Scripture, I don't believe that you will find large auditoriums and praise bands and light shows and fog machines and there's nothing wrong with softball and hot dogs, but you won't find all of these festivities and all of these activities that try to draw people in. What will you find? You will find the simplistic preaching of the Word of God. You will find praying in humility. You will find singing with your voices. And you will find fellowship in the family-integrated worship of the body in the New Testament church. That's what you'll find in the New Testament. So if Jesus came and he's seeking true worship, I just want you to think, where would Jesus go? Where would Jesus go? Do you think if Jesus came back and he's seeking true worship, He is earnestly, zealously seeking true worship. Where do you think that Jesus Christ would go? I will humbly submit to you that I really don't believe that he's going to go to a rock concert where you can't hear the words. What's the purpose of singing? The purpose of singing is so that I can teach and admonish the person on the pew beside me. Well, Number one, you're a spectator in praise band worship. And number two, you can't hear any of the words for them to teach and minister to you. So do you think that Jesus is going to seek out this rock band, light show, fog machine worship that is so popular today? Do you think that's the true worship that Jesus would seek? I don't believe so because I don't think we see any pattern of that in the New Testament. Where do you think that Jesus would seek out true worship? You know, Jesus was despised and rejected of men. (laughs) Jesus was the friend of publicans and sinners. You know, Jesus, if he showed up, I'll tell you what he's not doing. Now, there's a place for Christian TV, (laughs) but he's not going to be all over TV going on these popular... Jesus is not going to be writing best-selling books because he's already got a best-selling book that that gives you all that you need, right? He's not going to try to... Uh, tell you how to live your best life now, Jesus would tell you your best life is not now. Your best life is coming in heaven when Jesus Christ comes back the second time. So Jesus is not going to write a book that tells you uh, anything different than what's in the Word of God. So I just want to leave you with this thought. And there's so much that we could say. There's so much that we could say about the logistics of true worship. uh, Worship in spirit and in truth. But I want to leave you with this thought. If Jesus is seeking worship and he was here today, where would he go? Where would he go? I hope, I hope, and I say this with all the humility in the world, because I have no no merit. (laughs) I have no merit or value for me to understand what I believe to be the blessings of the word of God and the simplistic pattern of worship in the kingdom of God in the Primitive Baptist Church. I was born into it. I have, understand, I am so humbled that I have a knowledge of these things, okay? And I don't say this in pride, but I believe that if Jesus is seeking out true worship, I believe he would seek out 
people like Lydia that is on the side of the river with just a few people where prayer was wont to be made, right? He would seek out the home in both in Rome and in many other places where those, those that godly couple met in their homes. Where would he seek out? He wouldn't seek out the public attention. He would seek out these humble saints in these obscure locations down by the riverside and in little bitty homes. And you want, you want to know what they'd be doing? They would be singing with their voices, praying and preaching and fellowshipping together in family-integrated worship. That's what Jesus would seek out. Why, why would he seek that out? Why would he seek out that as true worship? Is because that's what we find in the New Testament. That's what we find as the pattern of worship in the Word of God. So if you are uncomfortable, if you are uncomfortable in the mechanics of Christianity today, and your soul is not satisfied with being a spectator and listening to a song, but you don't know the words, and you have a, a canned message that's 15 minutes long, that's weak and diluted and watered down, you need to seek out, prayerfully seek out, a New Testament church. And I believe if you read the pattern of the New Testament, that you will find that that pattern is found in the primitive Baptist church. And I would ask you to just follow the pattern of the New Testament, okay? Follow the pattern of the New Testament and consider these things. Consider what I've said unto you. Consider if these things are so. And I believe that if you study the Word of God, you will find that that true worship in spirit and in truth is not all the flashiness and mechanics of American Christianity. It's Lydia down by the riverside where prayer was wont to be made, right? It's these humble saints meeting together in humility with a desire, not saying what I can get out of it, but saying, Lord, what can I give to you? When you show up to, wor to worship, I hope that your perspective is always that God is watching you. God's wa and he is watching you, but God is watching you. And your perspective should always be, what can I give to God today, right? Now, if you show up with that perspective, you're going to leave full and happy. I guarantee you. <laughs> if you show up and say, what can I get out of it? You're, you're, you may get a little bit because God's good, but he won't give you the full banqueting feast. But if you show up and say, Lord, what can I give to you today? You're going to leave full and happy because God seeks true worshipers. He seeks those to worship him in spirit and in truth. And we hope that if we follow the pattern of the New Testament, that we can worship him in spirit and in truth as well. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.